0: We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then further on in uh, the letter of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, Thanks so much to people who are struggling to put out fires
1: this morning. As the electrical uh, circuitry blew up in our sound desk, these things happen. That's why we're having one or two issues with sound. Thanks for all your efforts, gentlemen, and uh, praise the Lord Jesus that we didn't burn school down. That wouldn't be too good for a relationship. Uh, Also, can I encourage you, if you like after eights like I do, I predict there's going to be a shortage as people try and replicate that superb stunt. So go and get yourself some this afternoon if you have a codependency issue with those sweets. we're starting a new series this morning, 1 John, one of three letters written at about AD 80, Jesus has died 50 years previously or thereabouts, and uh, it made my mind go back to the words of that famous Conservative Party leader, uh, John Major. Back in 93, uh, the Conservative Party leader and then Prime Minister, John Major said as uh, at the political uh, or Conservative Party conference, we need to get back to basics, He uttered these famous words and it was a pretty unsuccessful campaign for a number of sad reasons within the party. But that phraseology back in 93 stuck with me as a helpful way to understand what the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John and wrote three letters of John, all with his name attached to them, What really he wants us to understand, not just in AD 80, with the Lord Jesus uh, dead and buried and raised and ascended, but also in 2017. Sometimes we need to get back to basics, to quote John Major. Not just if you're a conservative party struggling to uh, get back to traditional convictions, struggling to deal with uh, issues with Europe, that was 1993 as well as 2017, not just struggling financially, Not just with global markets, but with uh, Black Wednesday that happened back in the early 90s as well. And political turmoil, uh, nations struggling one against the other, financial difficulties as well. You need to get back to basics. You need to get back to basics if you're a CEO of a company. Sometimes you recognize that you started out with certain priorities and convictions and you've lost your way a little bit so you gather all your employees together and say we need to get back to basics we need to simplify things sometimes if you're an artist you're doing that creative process I don't understand that because I'm not artistic at all but you see frustrated artists screwing up paper and throwing it on the floor because it's not good enough or deleting a word document because it's not quite what you want to say you need to get back to basics That's all a bit remote, but sometimes in a relationship as well, with someone you love, you need to get back to basics. You've stopped communicating well with one another. You're passing ships in the night, or the busyness of life just crowds in on what's most important to you. And you say one to another, we need to get back to basics. We need to start talking again. We're not listening to one another. Let's get back to basics. That's what John wants us to do as we look at the first four verses of this wonderful little letter of 1 John. Someone's described it in another way, not just as a back to basics, but as a spiral staircase. Someone says it's like an art gallery. A commentator on this book but one analogy that I think is most helpful is a spiral staircase where you're looking in an art gallery and you see fresh angles and these wonderful pieces of art that are hanging on the wall wonderful truths about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ wonderful teachings about the centrality and importance of the Christian faith it's like you're going on a spiral staircase walking up or or walking down and you see these wonderfully important and famous truths but from different angles and different lights. It's letters written to a, a group of churches in modern-day Turkey. They're not forgetful. That's not why they need to get back to basics. They haven't lost their first love. That's not why they need to get back to basics. But they're under attack. We won't do it all this morning. but We're going to see it in the coming weeks that there is a new teaching in town. It's a new teaching that questions the, the divinity of Jesus. Was he really God, or was it just a sham or a show? That's coming in, and that's challenging the little baby Christians. There are other things about matter. What really, is, what really matters, excuse the pun, what's really important, let's use a different word, is uh, spiritual things, the physical, the earthly realm. That's not important. You need to get away from that and really focus on the ethereal. And here comes John who wrote the gospel, who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus and said, no, we need to get back to basics. And let's start at the very beginning, to quote, uh, was it Mother Superior or Sister Maria from Sound of Music? Start at the very beginning, and he wants to say uh, three things from verses one to four of his first letter, 1 John. He says, I want to remind you of these truths. Number one, salvation is by grace. You need to remember that. Salvation is by grace. After a wonderful children's talk, look at verse 1 again from the first letter of John and from his quill. He says, we looked at it with our eyes and we touched it with our hands. The word of life, the word of life. Here is John who wrote the gospel and he starts to talk about Jesus front and centre, getting back to basics. It's about Jesus. Is he in your rearview mirror or are you looking at him front and centre? We need to get back to basics. We looked at Jesus when we saw him. We touched him with our hands. And he is the word of life. In John chapter 1. The first chapter of John's gospel. One of the four eyewitness accounts. He describes Jesus. You can see it on your service sheet. As the word. In the beginning was the word. This famous beginning. Going back to the beginning of creation. And even before that. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Here in his letter. He's now called the word of life. Look down to uh, verse 2. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. What's John saying here? He's not just saying that you can know life if you know Jesus. You can have life if you've experienced Jesus, if you get close to him. If you understand him, you can understand what life is. He's saying something even more radical than that. Jesus is life. To know Jesus is to know life itself. He's it. Now let's compare and contrast. In every other world religion, you have a prophet or a sage. You have a teacher or a religious ruler who says, this is what you need to do. This is the path you need to follow. This is the teaching you need to adhere to. This is what you need to achieve so that God will be uh, pleased with you. You have to do this stuff. And you see this huge black and white difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ when John comes in, not just in these verses, but in chapter 14 of his gospel and says Jesus is life. To know God is to know Jesus. And so in John 14 of his gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This is not a path you need to follow. This is not a teaching you need to obey so that God will be pleased with you. To know God is to know me. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is exclusive claims there. There is a truth claim there. But there's a life-giving claim that's certainly there as well. Jesus says, to know me, to know God, is to know life itself. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. I'm not a great prophet that's going to show you the way that you need to follow because you won't be able to do it. According to John, according to the New Testament writers, John wants to say, Jesus came from heaven to earth to save you. God came down the stairs. We thought about that on Christmas Day. To know Jesus personally is to know God intimately. Now, why does he say that? Because of this teaching, 50 years after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, the church is beginning to get knocked knees about this strong conviction and teaching from the lips and life of Jesus. Is Jesus actually God? Are these new teachers who are whispering in our ears, who we find out about in chapter 2 and following, do we need to believe what they're saying? Did we make a mistake? Is our faith in vain? Was it all a big first century show and sham? And that's why John writes in his letter, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard without headphones on which we've seen without a jumper on that looks very much like it should be a band-aid or something like that which we looked upon and have touched with our hands he's the word of life here is empirical evidence here is data 80 uh, 80th ad christians here is a ballast for your soul here is meat for your heart here's a concrete foundation for your faith it's jesus I saw him, I heard him, I touched him. I won't put this in chapter two and three. This is so important. This goes right up front. This is what I want to describe to you. You need to go back to basics. Came across a man called Bob Yardborough this week. He's, a, he's someone with a huge mind. He hasn't got a huge head, but he's got a huge mind. He's a Greek New Testament scholar. And you look at some of these verbs that you see about what John wants to bring to bear on the uh, 80th century uh, Christians. And he's saying this. Why does he use these verbs? Bob Yarborough makes this point. These variety of verbs correspond to the variety of witnesses in the ancient legal system. These words are specifically chosen because John is not just describing his own personal experience. It's as if he's not just making a conversation. He says, heard, saw, touched, He's presenting evidence. It's it's as if he's swearing in a disposition. He's being deposed. This is legal language. This is so important. Here's the data. Here's the evidence. You can bet your life on this. You can bet your mortgage on this. This really happened. Jesus walked the earth. Jesus was fully man, fully God. And he walked the earth. You can be strong and certain in your convictions. Don't be tempted to think that it was just a sham. It wasn't. It really happened. I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. I touched him with my hands. Jesus was real. He's historically real. I really saw him. He really lived. He really died. He really rose from the grave. He's not just a wonderful teacher. He's God himself who came down to earth. He's the word of life. And you can know him personally, says John. Because if what John is saying in his gospel, and if what John is teaching again in his letter, if it's just legend, if it's myth, then everything we believe is in vain. But if it's true, we're not left but to ourselves and our own devices. We're not left to our own efforts. We're saved by grace. Salvation is by grace. God came down and he rescued us because we can't rescue ourselves we're received in him. We're accepted in him. We're loved in him. We're improved in him because salvation is by grace. God came down. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. You can bet your life on it. That's number one. Salvation is by grace. But secondly, he moves on to really the main burden of these first four verses and says, you can have fellowship with God. Salvation is by grace. Number two, because God has come down, you can have fellowship with God. It's all about the doctrine of the incarnation. God taking on human flesh. The fully man, fully God. 100 plus 100% is 200%. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. It's there in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why? What's the point? So that you also may have fellowship with us. In other words, this is about the doctrine of the incarnation. Why did God come down for fellowship? for relationship, for intimate relationship, for for reconciliation, for atonement. But here, John is saying, for fellowship. It's not enough to believe in him. It's not enough to know about him. This is intimacy. This is closeness. This is not just a God who's happy to be believed in as a concept, as a power, as a force. This is completely different when you compare it to other world religions God says, I'm going to come down because I want a personal, intimate relationship with you. And I need to do all the running. I need to take all the initiative. I need to do all the effort. But I will, because I want intimacy with you. You won't be able to do this this week, but um, next time the sun is out, which is probably next year, because we've had our summer, remember that two hot days um, when we had the barbecue? And it's going to be cold this week, apparently. Monty Don says so. what you need to do when you see the sun the next time is to do an experiment for me. Please will you look at the sun? Then you go to Specsavers the next day. Please will you look at the sun? No, not seriously. If you wanted to look at the sun, you'd have all sorts of problems. It would burn your retina. You know that from first grade, if you're an American friend, or from primary school. You know if you look at the sun, to study its glory and magnificence, its, its hugeness, its If you wanted to look at the sunspots, if you wanted to look at the flares, if you wanted just to get a sense of the bigness of the sun, you need to look at it. So please look at it. But when you do, you know that you're going to have problems. It will damage you because its glory is too great, its majesty is too vast, its power and its warmth, even though we're light years away from It's so huge the numbers boggle me when you look at it. Now, to look at the sun without damaging your eyes, you need a filter. You need a lens, don't you? Remember Moses in the Old Testament when he wanted to see the glory of God? He was told, No one can see God's glory and live. No one can see and sense God's holiness, His purity, His might, His awe, and His power and live. No one can do that. That's still true. No one can see God's glory in its full to the max and live. We need to filter. And one way to understand the person of Jesus is, He is the filter. When we look at Jesus, we can see the glory of God. It bursts out, and you see his earthly ministry. Think of the transfiguration when... Jesus' clothes were turned pearly white, but people couldn't bear it. They were kind of turning away. Think of the acts of John's Gospel when he records the miracles of Jesus, or some of them of during his earthly ministry, and they were signs, weren't they? That's the word that John uses in his Gospel. The power and the glory and the majesty of God that Moses could not see, because it's too great. John records in his Gospel and says, it's a sign. It's a demonstration of the strength of his arm. It's about looking at the sun, S-O-N, because we can't look at the majesty and power of God who's like the sun, S-U-N. We need a filter, and his name is Jesus. You need to look at him, or you can't really see the glory of God, but when you look at Jesus, you sure do see the glory of God. That's why we love to sing uh, that lovely uh, Charles Wesley hymn on Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Why? Because there's that great Christian truth. It says, veiled in flesh, The Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. We should have sung it this morning, but we didn't have any good sound. Because God's become a human, we can see the glory of God walking the face of the earth. We see, as we remember at Easter time, the glory of God displayed on a cruel cross. Without Jesus, we would never see and understand at all the glory and majesty and personal nature of God. It would overwhelm us. It would burn the retina of our soul just like our eyes would be damaged if we look straight at the sun. Please don't do it. Don't sue me. But when you read the Gospels, you see God's glory and displayed to the max. You see his love. You sense his humility. You hear his wisdom as he teaches. You sense and see his compassion as he deals with needy and broken people. All the attributes from the Old Testament that we're told that are overwhelming are daunting that are too much for us. We see in the person and uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ as he walked the earth, as he got sand beneath his toes. It's kind of as if God is saying, I can't show you directly, but in Jesus you can come near to me because I've come near to you. That's the gospel. If you've not read it, if you're new to Christian things, if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, the best thing you can do is to take a gospel. There's some copies outside. Please take one and read it from front to back. When you read it from front to back, God goes from being a concept or an abstraction. He becomes a human, fully God, fully man, that's hard to understand, if you can understand it at all. But it's true. And God goes from being a concept and a force, maybe, in your understanding, to becoming a human. And from becoming human, we pray that he'll become real. As God, by his spirit, explains his word. It's the power and the glory of God. God has come close to us in the incarnation. And that's what John wants to remind this baby church about in Turkey. They're tempted to doubt the incarnation of Jesus. And he says, it's not an optional way, uh, extra. You need to go back to basics. The incarnation, the personal nature of Jesus Christ is absolutely central to our faith. It was then and it is now. But let's apply this a little bit more personally. If God went to that ultimate length and took the ultimate journey to get close to you. If you're not yet a Christian, even if you are, surely nothing should be off limits for you to get close to him. There must be nothing too precious, no mountain that's too high, as the song goes, for you to explore the person of Jesus. Nothing needs to be off limits if you have been a Christian for a while, sometimes things can grow. Priorities and affections can become misaligned, and you need to go back to basics and say, is Jesus still precious to me? Is he the number one in my heart? It's a bit like when you have a breakfast. Sometimes you can have breakfast and it's in a business context. Remember those days if you were used to be employed and now you're enjoying retirement sometimes you had the business breakfast where you had a task that needed to be achieved there was an agenda in your mind so you made an appointment with somebody you wanted to meet with you would meet in a nice uh, quiet atmosphere you would enjoy and pay for the food but there sure was an agenda that needed to be uh, worked through there were words that needed to be shared there was uh, needs that needed to be accomplished and there was a window of opportunity maybe an hour maybe less where you had to get through all these conversation points because it's a business meeting but if you're having breakfast with a friend and you work in the same way they may not be a friend for long when you go out for breakfast with a friend hopefully you go out and you want to catch up you want to hear there's no agenda you want to hear what's going on in their lives you want to hear their joys and their sorrows. And after a while, the conversation I trust would turn the other way and they'd want to hear about you as well. If you said, well, hang on, I've got 59 minutes, then I'm out of here. I trust that friend wouldn't be a friend for long. If you're looking around because you're not really being attentive to what they're saying, they would say, are you really here? Would you rather be somewhere else? And You may be left finishing it up by yourself. Friends, the way you can tell the difference when it comes to your prayer life between someone who is a moral, religious person and someone that's a Christian, is when you look at how you pray. When you pray, is it like that business meeting or is it like the breakfast with a friend? When you pray, do you come to God with a list of needs and desires, an agenda that needs to be worked through, even if it's on prayer mate, even if it's on a card? You pray because there's business to be done and when that business has been achieved, you then move on to the rest of your day. Or do you pray, like verses 3 and 4 say in 1 John, because you have fellowship with the Father. You have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with King Jesus. And that means you want to spend time with him in prayer. You don't rush your Bible study. You don't even study the Bible because you want knowledge and data. You recognise that this is a love letter from a Father who loves you. And so you want to commune with him. You want to enjoy him. You want to spend time with him. You want to pour out your heart with him. You don't put on a prayer voice when you pray. You turn off the radio and you want to commune and spend time with the king of the universe. Who's made a relationship with you possible through his dear son. Do you know anything of that? A longing to spend time with King Jesus. Or is it a business breakfast? Or is it a breakfast with a friend? A friend who happens to be the maker of the universe. Here is John and he says, salvation is by grace. God has taken all the initiative. And what's the point? What's the purpose? Verse 3, I want you, baby Christian, to have no doubt that this is the purpose of the relationship that we can have with Jesus. It's fellowship. You can know your maker and you can enjoy an eternal relationship with him. Friends, when you pray, tell him what's going on. Pour out your heart. Hold nothing back he loves to hear the voice of his children it's salvation it's fellowship it's joy thirdly joy why is John writing these letters yes to defend the Christian doctrine yes to say you need to get back to basics but because he longs for joy to be springing up everywhere like a geezer look at verse four I'm going to defend the incarnation I want you to believe in the person of Jesus but verse four this is why I'm writing to make our joy Complete. Make our joy complete. Now, joy is one of those things that you get as a byproduct. You know, there's some great kind of chemical discoveries and some stuff that physicists find by accident. They're looking for something, a chemical reaction happens, and suddenly there's a new thing that uh, is found, and that's something great, but it happened by accident. Joy can be a little bit like that. Joy is not something you can add onto your Amazon cart and it goes in and then you pay for it. Joy is something that happens uh, accidentally or rather as a byproduct of something else. So at Wembley, there was loads of fans who experienced joy and lots that didn't. There are times when you see a baby that's born and there is joy after a lot of pain and hardship, and that's just for the men. There's joy, which is a byproduct of something else. If you go searching for joy this afternoon, you will not find it but it comes as a byproduct of something else notice the orders of these verses please it's very important look at verse 1 and 2 of these first four sentences again and john is saying i want to remind you of the objective measurable empirical truth of the gospel jesus christ came i heard him i saw him i touched him he was i was with him before his resurrection I saw him after his resurrection. It really happened. Verses 1 into verse 2. Objective fact. I testified to it. There's eyewitness. This is legal verbs used. It really, really happened. But this is not an end in and of itself. To have joy is not enough just to read a book. It's not enough just to see data and say, yeah, I agree with that. Yes, I give mental assent to that. There is also a mystical element to it as well. In addition to the objective reality of verses 1 and 2, verse 3 says something about fellowship. We have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Jesus is gone. He's disappeared in an earthly sense, historically and physically. He's left the earth. He's returned to his Father in heaven. But verse 3 says we have, present tense, we have fellowship with the Father Now this order is hugely important. You've got two things that need to work together. You have the objective measurable truth of verses 1 and 2. This really happened, people were there, people saw it. But then you must have, because that's not enough, you must have the subjective experience of the work of God in your heart so that you know a personal relationship with King Jesus. You have fellowship with him. You don't get that from a book. You just get legalism from a book. John picks this up in his gospel as well. It's in John 17. And this is eternal life, says Jesus, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Here's the essence of the gospel. Subjective, historical, measurable, empirical, reliable data that you can build your life upon, that you can trust into all eternity, that you can sacrifice so much in this world for. But it's not just pain before gain. There's a living personal relationship with King Jesus that you can enjoy now in a real manifest way. In part, not in whole. Not by sight, but by faith. And you need both of those two truths. Empirical, measurable, objective, but subjective relationship as well. You need both. And the order is hugely important. Verse 1 and 2 come before verse 3. The data... The historical reliability comes before the experiencing, the intimacy of knowing God personally. And how does that happen? When does that happen? Do you remember in Luke 24, as an example, you've got the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Their hearts are burning with pain. They're so sad their world has come to an end. Jesus has died. He's disappeared. And then he appears to his disciples, but they don't know him. He talks to them, he explains the Bible, he does the greatest Bible study ever. And then he says, they still didn't recognise who I was until I took the bread. And when I took the bread and broke it, then their eyes were opened, and then, then their hearts burned. Did not our hearts burn, says Luke, while he opened the scriptures to us? What does that mean? That means the truth of 1 and 2, verse 1 and 2 of John's letter, it becomes real to them. It is fuel for their hearts. There's a subjective nature to it. Truth descends from head to heart and it explodes in joy. It's him. He's alive. Truth exploding inside of you like a bomb that's going off. Like a, a river of joy that's subterranean and then explodes up. It drenches your mind. It shapes all your priorities. It's really Jesus. And our hearts burned. You need the objective truth. But that's not enough. There are lots of people in Bible colleges around the world who know so much about the Bible. But don't know Jesus. And it's a tragedy. You need to know who Jesus is. Verse 1 and 2 of 1 John. But then that's seen in an intimate relationship with King Jesus. And then that verse 4 will be a source of great joy. Great joy in happy times when the sun is shining, like it did those two days a month ago. Joy when all is well. Joy when tears are falling down your cheeks because of heartache in your life. Joy when you are reading of Christians uh, multiplying by their thousands in Nigeria. Joy when you see churches struggling in Egypt. Because you know the God who makes the universe tick. Joy is not something that is passing. Joy is a deep, truth-centred fuel for your heart. And if you're struggling for joy this morning, an encouragement to you is to take the truth of God and reflect upon it. Steep it. Meditate on it. Internalise it. Massage it into your mind so that you get the truth of God and it becomes real to you. You pray and you pray and you pray for God to take the truth of his word and make it real to your heart. And that is the only source of true joy. To wrap up, there was a great time that Joe and I had a few years back when we got in the car when we were living in America and we went to see Old Faithful. It's not my father-in-law, but that is the name of a big geezer in Yellowstone National Park. I'm not quite sure how it worked, so I had to look it up on Wikipedia, so this is probably wrong. But uh, there is a massive source of subterranean cold water that then gets forced under pressure. It goes through magma and lava and all that sort of stuff. And then it comes out really, really hot as steam, hundreds of feet into the air. And it happens in God's providence every 91 minutes. You can put your uh, clock on it. Friends, if you understood the truth of the gospel that John is describing in the first four sentences of his letter, that would be old faithful to you. That would be truth in your heart that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, that he was seen, he was touched, he was heard. And because of that wonderful truth that salvation is by grace, we can have fellowship with the Father. We can be known and loved and approved and accepted In Jesus Christ and because of that that then is that subterranean source of joy that springs out you never know when it's going to happen you might even raise a hand on a Sunday morning you might even have that smile on your face when actually there are tears down your face because you understand the source of joy is in the gospel that Jesus died for you when you're still an enemy that Jesus loves you when no one else does that is a source of joy that can spring out of your heart when the sun is beating down on you and when it's pouring down with rain clouds like it will this week remember this passage when it's raining when you're putting your heating on on tuesday or wednesday when it goes to freezing again even though we're heading towards may remember the truth of the gospel because john has written this little letter and he says verse four we're writing these things about jesus about the incarnation about the historical reliability of the faith Not just for your joy, but so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, thank you that at Christmas we remember the incarnation. That you, as it were, punched a hole into reality. That joy has dawned upon the world because Jesus came. Father, please help us to look forward to the ideal becoming reality in a manifest way when you return. We look forward so much to seeing Jesus. It feels sometimes as if he'll never return, but I pray, come Lord Jesus, even today. And yet there are so many known to us that don't know you. And so we pray, please, that this joy would not just be ours alone, but it would be shared abroad. That people outside of the kingdom would become Christians even today. Loved ones who look like they have a really hard heart and a hard demeanour towards you. You've turned their back on the gospel. Even today we pray that there would be a warming of their spirit. Father have mercy on us and on them we pray. And would increasingly as we work through this lovely little book. Would there be an increasing joy in our demeanour in our spirit. Not an inane grin but deep joy that's based on the truth of the gospel, on the reality of Jesus, and on the hope of eternal life. Help us, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing again. Not only we're we thankful for uh, sound people we're really thankful for musicians that just grin and carry on thank you chaps today let's stand and sing page six the wonder of your mercy thank you let's stand together
2: Lord the beauty of your grace that you would even pardon me and bring me to this place I stand before your holiness I can only stand amazed sinless saviour died to make a covenant of grace I only want to serve you bring honour to your name and though I've often failed you your faithfulness remains glory in my weakness that i might know your strength i will live my life at the cross of christ and raise a banner to proclaim the wonder of your mercy lord the beauty of your grace That you would even pardon me And bring me to this place I stand before your holiness I can only stand amazed The sinless Saviour died to make A covenant of grace us before you into this holy place the brilliance of your glory demands our endless praise the one the only saviour has opened heaven's doors We can enter in, free from all our sin, by your cleansing sacrifice, the wonder of your mercy, Lord, the beauty of your grace, that you would even pardon me and bring me to this place stand before your holiness, I can only stand amazed, the sinless saviour died to make a covenant of grace. Please do
1: take your seats. I encourage you just to open up. Your service sheet again and look back to uh, page four. And let's just meditate on these words that they might be fuel for our hearts or geezers for joys springing up. Let's begin uh, reading at uh, verse eight that describes the ministry of John the Baptist. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Speaking of Jesus, verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Jesus came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, we thank you for these wonderful true truths that are historically reliable, that also are subjectively true. Thank you that the the truth of that lovely children's hymn, that Jesus loves us, this we know, because the Bible tells us so. I pray for anyone who's tempted to doubt these truths, that uh, the pressure of the world, whether it be at school or in the workplace, is so great that we're tempted sometimes to throw in the towel. I pray that as we work through this lovely little letter of 1 John, That would be far from our experience, but there would be joy in abundance. There would be increased confidence in the reliability of the Bible that we love and cherish. And there would also be an increased passion. Not just to hide the truth under a bushel, not just to hide the light under a shade, but to take the cover off and to shine our light abroad. To tell our neighbours more about Jesus, to stand on the truth of the Scriptures and to proclaim King Jesus until he comes or until he calls us home. Give us great courage, we pray. Amen. Amen.